Well, good morning, Crosswinds family. It is a privilege to be with you here this morning. Uh, we had a lot of fun during first service. I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone here um, in our Canandaigua campus and, of course, all of our friends joining us online this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Wendy Emerson, and I am the student ministry pastor here at Crosswinds. Um, I've been a part of this church family for about 15 years, and today we're continuing our series, Asking for a Friend. And so our message today is going to be a little bit different than what maybe you're used to because I didn't pick like one particular passage and we're not going to open it up and kind of go deep. Today's going to be a little bit more of a history lesson into the Wesleyan denomination because I know you all are dying to know what is a Wesleyan, right? We are a Wesleyan church and so that's what we're going to look at today. I was never a history student growing up. I did not like history. It was probably one of my least favorite subjects. But on this history, I am incredibly passionate, so I'm excited to share with you this morning. I feel like this could have been a full series on what is a Wesleyan and all of the things that make up the Wesleyan denomination. So today we're going to kind of do a Cliff Notes version, and I'm really just going to scratch the surface. But if you've been around for a while, you've heard things repeated over various messages from different people on our teaching team that kind of make up the DNA of who we are at Crosswinds Church and who we are as Wesleyans. Um, but I want to just kind of start with five things. And these are what I would call non-negotiables. They're part of our values as a denomination. And so if you'll allow me, I'm just going to quickly review those, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper into who we are. So the first of the five things is that we as Wesleyans are biblically and prayerfully rooted. We believe that the Bible is truth, and we believe that this is the final authority over all things. That is just a non-negotiable. It's called, it's also known as sola scriptura. That's another like fancy word for that. But as Wesleyans, we follow the teachings of Armenian theology. I'm not going to go too deep into theology this morning. You're welcome, okay? But I do want to give you a quote from the theologian Arminius, and this is what he said. He said, God cannot be known except through himself, to whom also there can be no approach but through himself. Think about that for a minute. The only way to know God is to get into his word. 2 Timothy 3.16, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It doesn't say some scripture is God-breathed. It says all scripture is God-breathed. We don't get the luxury of taking one or two verses out of context and twisting and shaping them to mold the way we want to live our lives. We have to look at all of scripture in how we live our lives. And I love the idea that the way it says scripture is profitable. When we fill ourselves up with God's word, when we fill ourselves up with all that God wants for us, it goes out and it multiplies. It's profitable. I love that picture. Profitable. Next, as Wesleyans, we are called to pursue Christ-like living or holiness. Jesus showed us how to live. We have the perfect example of how to live. And more specifically, he showed us how to love without hesitation. The moment Jesus died on the cross, we experience what's called justification. Now, I know that's kind of a big word, but the bottom line is this. He his death on the cross covered our sins, every single one of them. I heard it explained once that, this way. Justification or being justified is just if I'd never sinned. I'm declared not guilty in that moment, right? So we are covered in God's grace through his death on the cross. And what comes with that, however, when we accept that, is we enter into a covenant with Jesus. We enter into this covenant, and to, that is to pursue holiness. In other words, to become more and more like Christ. So if justification declares us not guilty, 
Then there's this other big word called sanctification. Now, you're not going to be quizzed on this, but sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. It doesn't mean perfection, because honestly, none of us are going to be perfect until we stand face-to-face with Jesus. But it does mean that it's a, it's a journey. It's a, it's a process, right? So 2 Corinthians 3.18 kind of describes it like this. This is what it says. It says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in this, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love this idea. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. What a beautiful picture that is. And as I stand here today talking to you guys, I don't represent all that Jesus is. I am not perfect. I am, I am a work in progress. But I am on the journey of being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That excites me. I desire to be Christ-like, but I don't have it all figured out. So I lean into the Holy Spirit. I lean into God's word. I lean into his teachings for the purpose of becoming more and more like Christ. Next, as Wesleyans, we are also called to be disciple makers. We are called to know God and make him known. And if you ever forget that, it's right outside the ministry center on the wall. That is our mission as a church. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. You've heard Craig talk about it. You've heard Pastor Chris talk about it. Um, But we look at our weekend gatherings as local mission conferences, and we are all the missionaries right? That is our mission, is to go and make disciples. We are called to share the gospel, we are called to grow spiritually, and we are called to pursue holiness. And when we do this, we produce much fruit, right? It's profitable. As Wesleyans, we are also local church focused. What does that mean exactly? What does it mean to be local church focused? It doesn't mean the building, right? This is not, the church is not the building, You guys are the church. Everyone watching online, you guys are the church. It means that to be locally church-focused, we are focused on the health and growth of the local church, of you. We desire to grow and multiply. And this can only be done when the local church, when all of you are spiritually thriving. The local church is where evangelism and discipleship begin. And without those things, we cannot serve, we cannot strengthen, and we cannot multiply the church body. We have an amazing discipleship program here at Crosswinds, and if you want to learn more about that, I strongly encourage you after service to stop by Crosswinds Central and ask some questions. I know our folks on the welcome team would love to talk to you about that. But we see proof of this. We see proof of the local church focus, like tangibly through our online campus and our Hopewell campus. Those things could not have happened if this church body was not thriving. And lastly, as Wesleyans, we are focused on servant leadership. Our authority is God. God is who we look to for all things, right? And we follow his leading alone. We see spiritual leadership and authority as not simply given, but earned by our obedience to serve God and to serve others. Simply put, we desire to lead the way in serving. So those five things are the foundation for our ministry here at Crosswinds. Decisions we make as a church are filtered through those things. That's our DNA, right? But how did we come to land on those things as who we are? I remember my very first Sunday that I attended Crosswinds. Again, it was about 15 years ago, and I came with my husband, Greg. We weren't married at the time, and I sat about three-quarters of the way back on that side against the wall, hoping that nobody would notice me. I remember when worship started, 
and the band came up on stage and it was loud and the, the big screens and the, the lyrics screaming at me, I just thought it was a show. I just, I couldn't relate to it. But then the message, I remember the first message like it was yesterday. It was called Numa. And it was the first time I'd ever heard somebody speak on the Holy Spirit in a way that I understood, in a way that I could leave the building and go apply it to my life. And so I immediately felt at home. When I came to Crosswinds, I had no idea what a Methodist was. I had no idea what a Wesleyan was. I came to Crosswinds in search of healing and wholeness. I came to Crosswinds because I had started attending Celebrate Recovery here on Friday nights to find healing from a lifetime of hurts and bad habits. I was lost, and I was in need of a savior. I had accepted Christ as a teenager, but I had spent decades not following Jesus. I had a gambling problem when I came to Crosswinds. I had a broken marriage when I came to Crosswinds, and I carried around a lot of pain. I finally came to a place where I realized that only God could restore me. I didn't necessarily think that that restoration would come through a Wesleyan church, but this is where he brought me. And to be honest, I was here for many years before I actually knew what a Wesleyan was. And maybe some of you are in that same boat. And if that's you, I'm excited to be sharing with you this morning. Maybe you remember the first time you attended Crosswinds. Maybe today is your first time. Maybe you're looking for a search home, searching for a new church home, and you don't know if you want a Wesleyan church or another church. But my journey here began 15 years ago, and now having been called into ministry, I, ha I have, the more I have studied the Wesleyan denomination, the more I get it, the more I feel connected to it, the more I am all in for what we believe is Wesleyan. So let me introduce you to a guy by the name of John Wesley, and we should have a picture of John. So that is John Wesley, and he looks a little bit scary, but to be honest, he was a really cool dude. He was like the salt of the earth, Okay. His father was a pastor. His mother was a spiritual leader in his life. His brother Charles led a holy club at Oxford University. And Wesley, John Wesley, had been part of his brother's holy club for a while. And then in 1735, he got on a boat, and he traveled from England to Savannah, Georgia, where he was going to pastor a church of British colonists. He wasn't there very long, and some things happened that would seem, you know, not so good to him. And, and he went home very quickly after that being rejected. His leadership was rejected at that church in Savannah, Georgia. That is the father of our denomination right there. Uh, but this, him going home and feeling a failure, that led to a transforming moment in his life. One of his mentors told him one day that while he had faith, he lacked saving faith. To which Wesley responded, I indeed was fighting continually but not conquering. I fell, and I rose, and I fell again. Ever felt like that? Constantly fighting, falling, rising again, falling again, and getting back up? I know I've had moments in my life where I've had faith in God, but it wasn't a saving faith, right? I wasn't trusting completely in his plan. And I feel like I've said those same words a time or two in my own life. Before coming to Celebrate Recovery, and ultimately before recommitting my life to Christ. And maybe you sit here today and your faith is just lukewarm, like John Wesley's was before that moment. Maybe you sit here today and you believe in God, but you haven't entered into a saving relationship with Christ. I want to encourage you in knowing that John Wesley had the same experience, and many of your friends here have as well. 
So we're going to hit the pause button on Wesley for just a minute, and we're going to look at how the Wesleyan Church views a person's spiritual movement from non-believer to disciple-maker. And maybe you've heard Pastor Craig or others talk about it, but it's four words. Believe, belong, become, and bless. This building is not the Wesleyan Church, as I've said. You guys and gals and children and teens, you are all the Wesleyan Church. And that is the pathway that we see for each and every one of you. So as Wesleyans, we want to help people believe. We want to help people come into that saving faith. We desire to reach people with the love and message of Jesus Christ and to lead them into a saving relationship with Jesus. I'm trying really hard not to move because I don't want that micro, micro, the microphone to pop as it did in first service. So that's why I'm like standing like this because I don't want it to pop. But the first step is to believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, to believe that he was resurrected, to believe that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and to believe that he will return again. We have confidence in knowing that Jesus' death on the cross covered our sins, and we can look forward to a hopeful, to, with hopeful anticipation, the knowledge that we get to spend eternity in heaven with him. That's believing. That's what Jesus did for us. So if we go back to John Wesley, a few years after returning from Savannah back to England, feeling a failure, he was listening to a pastor preach one night, and, and he was listening to a sermon, and he felt what he described as this strange warming in his heart while listening to the message. Maybe you've had that experience at one point or another in your faith journey. But this is what he said. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he has taken away my sin, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That was what John Wesley shared in his moment of salvation when he had that warming in his heart. He had a moment where he realized that he truly believed in his heart. We've had those moments where he felt like we failed, where we've let God down, we've let others down. Maybe you sit here today and you feel unworthy of God's love and grace, and I assure you, you are not. Wesley was listening to a sermon being preached out of Romans when he felt that warming in his heart. The Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart as he was hearing the message straight out of Scripture. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. In that moment, Wesley believed in his heart, and that moment led to a movement, which led to a merging of two churches, which led to us sitting here today. Which leads me to the first of three core values of the Wesleyan denomination. Core value number one. We are called to be obedient in prayer and in tune with the Holy Spirit. We are called to be obedient in prayer and in tune with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you're note-taking on the app, I'm going to apologize. The Spirit led me to change the order of these yesterday. So it's all the same information, but they're just slightly out of order. So core, core value number one is Wesleyans, this is at the root of who we are, right? We can't do God's work if we're not tuned into who he is and what he desires for us. We can't do God's work if we don't know God, right? Our mission is to know God and make him known. Remember what Arminius said. He said, God cannot be known except through himself, to whom also there can be no approach but through himself. 
To know God, we have to be in relationship with him. We have to be in word. We have to be in prayer. We have to be doing community. We have to be dialed into the Holy Spirit. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our mission at Crosswinds, know God and make him known. And it starts with knowing God. This is what Wesley himself said on the matter. He said, in, in using all means, seek God alone. In and through every outward thing, look only to the power of his spirit and the merits of his son. He continued, beware that you do not get stuck in the work itself. If you do, it's all lost labor. Nothing short of God can satisfy your soul. Therefore, fix on him in all, through all, and above all. Remember also to use all means as means, as ordained, not for their own sake. Nothing short of God can satisfy your soul. Wesley went from being a lukewarm Christian to someone whose heart was set on fire for the Lord's work. He knew that the only way to do his work was in seeking God alone. Nothing short of God can satisfy your soul, not your spouse, not your job, not your car, not your vacations, not your friends, not your kids, not your social clubs, not your golf league. Nothing can satisfy your soul except for God. The rest of those things are good. They are blessings, especially your spouses, but your spouse cannot save your soul, nor can they truly satisfy it. But if you and your spouse or your significant other are both walking in tune with the Spirit, what a great relationship that can be. So we are called to exist in step with the Spirit. We are called to know God, and we are called to be obedient in prayer and seeking the Spirit's leading. Core value number two of the Wesleyan denomination is that we are called to be relational. We are called to be relational. Wesleyans believe that God's vision requires big relationships. Big relationships. What does that mean? We believe that relationships must be built on love, collaboration, and forgiveness. And I love the way our denomination puts it. We choose trust over tension. Trust over tension. We also choose mutual voluntary submission in our relationships to be united in God's mission. Now that's a big phrase and I'm going to explain it, but mutual voluntary submission. That's going to come directly from what we know is the greatest commandment. In, Jesus, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. John Wesley took this message to the masses. He got outside the church building and he took that message wherever he could. He did not see the church as the building. And he went to the people who were rejected and neglected by the church. He went out and preached to the poor, to the minors. He went where people needed to hear the message most. And through this movement, people were coming to Christ in droves. Here's what Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Philippi in Philippians 2, 1 through 5. He says, so if, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. 
Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what I call voluntary mutual submission. That's what relationships should look like. And I will be the first to admit, you can ask my husband, I don't always get this right, but I certainly try, and I certainly strive to do this as much as I can. Jesus demonstrated it, Paul declared it, and Wesley continued to teach it. Without intending to, John Wesley started a movement. His followers began to meet in private rooms, and they called themselves societies. Kind of a secret word, right? But it quickly became so large that Wesley had to organize what he called classes. He would take 11 people, and he would group them together, and he would put one leader over them, and they would meet weekly, and they would read the Bible, and they would pray, and they would discuss their spiritual lives, and they would collect money for the poor. Does that sound like anything we do here at Crosswinds? Small groups, maybe? Right? So um, that is just one idea, but that's something we do at Crosswinds. And guys, if you're not in a small group, that's the church. Small groups are the church. And I know they're on break for the summer, but if you want to get into a small group, again, I'm going to push you right to Crosswind Central. Talk to Pastor Chris or anyone on our welcome team, and we'll get you plugged in for the fall. Because that's where real growth happens is in those small groups. If you're not part of a small group, I really, really encourage you. But here's what Wesley said about being relational. He said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. Now, it's easy for us to look at the news, culture, social media, see the, the political divides, the racial divides, all the things that are happening, and they seem unique to our generation, but they're not, because he said that back in the 1700s. He said that back in the 1700s. We are called to something greater, and that is to love regardless of our differences. This movement of Wesley's continued to grow and was even criticized. People would slam his followers. People who followed his teachings were called Methodists, right, because of their methodical approach. And it wasn't meant to be a compliment, but rather a jab. But here's what happened. Wesley's followers, they embraced it. They embraced it, and that's how the Methodist religion, the Methodist denomination was born. It was born out of an attack that was then embraced and said, you know what, yeah, that's who we are. That's who we are. Now, it wasn't Wesley's intention to create a new religion, but God used him to bless others. Wesley was firm on his stance against slavery, which ultimately led to the split of the Methodist church, which is where the Wesleyan denomination began. He also believed that women could hold a place of leadership in the church. Thank you, Mr. Wesley. <laughs> Our denomination, many of you may not know this, and this is a super cool fact, our denomination even has local roots to the first women's rights conferences in Seneca Falls, New York. So I encourage you guys to check out that history. It's really cool stuff. But Wesley had a call in his life, and that was to save souls, all souls, young, old, rich, poor, black, white. It didn't matter. And that leads me to our third and final core value of the Wesleyan church, and that is that we are called to be a force for kingdom expansion. Once we know God, we are to go out and make him known to everyone. Wesley put it this way, you have nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. Spend and be spent in this work. And go not only to those that need you, but to those that need you the most. He went outside the walls of the church building. 
He went out and preached to the poor. He preached to those who the church saw as irrelevant. He stood up for injustice and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ to all. Spend and be spent in this work. You have nothing to do but save souls. In Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Jesus says, said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. You, my friends, are the laborers, and out there in the world is the harvest. Spend and be spent in this work, in this work of saving souls. Go and make disciples, love one another, be united and do it everywhere you go. John Wesley embodied what we believe and who we desire to be as a church. Throughout his life, he created programs to serve the poor, the poor programs to create to generate food, clothing, and shelter for those unable to work. He created programs that, that generated money um, to help people start businesses. He created programs that provided schools and education for children who otherwise would have no education. He created literacy programs for adults. He created free medical clinics for the poor. If that's not extravagant love and servant leadership, I don't know what is. We can take a page from the, the life of John Wesley and, and follow his model. Charles Wesley once said of his brother, he said that his brother John took so many offerings for the poor that they would eventually need to take up an offering for the Methodist church because they were giving away all their money. Talk about generous living. Now, if you can remember the five non-negotiables I shared with you early on, I'm going to tie them back now to John Wesley's life through his work. So through his life, he modeled the five things we looked at in the beginning. He put scripture above all else. That was his authority on which he made every decision and it was the message he took to his followers. He pursued holiness throughout his entire life. He was in the business of making disciples, of leading people to Christ who would in turn multiply and lead others to Christ. He was focused on the health of the small local churches, and we see that in his small group class model. And he modeled what it was to be a servant leader. Now I've looked back again on his life, and I'm reminded of what God is doing in my own life. When John Wesley felt that initial warming in his heart, he went from believing to seeking and following. And in that moment, everything changed for him. I can't imagine, he probably never expected that somebody would be standing up in 2021 and talking about his life. But God did a work in my life too. And God set my heart on fire too. If you had asked me 15 years ago, I would have never imagined that at 50 years old, I would be a student ministry pastor traveling to NTS camp with our amazing students and pouring into teens and preteens and pulling all nighters and doing all the crazy things that youth pastors do. But that's where God put me. That's what God did when he had that warming in my heart. If you allow yourself to feel that yourselves, imagine what God can do in your life, in your circle of influence. When Wesley died, the Wesleyan denomination included about 294 preachers, doesn't seem like a lot, 19 missionaries, and over 100,000 members between Great Britain and the United States. Today, there are about 30 million of us worldwide. So again, if we follow his methods, we are called to be obedient in prayer and in tune with the Holy Spirit. We believe that scripture is the, the one authority that we should look to in all things. We are called to be relational, to love others as Jesus commanded us without prejudice. And we are called to be a force for kingdom expansion. Those are the core values of the Wesleyan denomination. Wesleyans are biblically and prayerfully rooted in people in all that we do. We are focused on loving right, people right where they are 
and sharing God's extravagant love without judgment. Our mission is, our mission is kingdom expansion by knowing God and making him known. Maybe you came in today feeling lukewarm for God. Maybe you came in today and you didn't believe in God. Maybe questioning his goodness or his love for you. And maybe through hearing about Wesley's life and ministry, you felt that own sense of warming in your heart. If that's you, I invite you today to make a decision for Christ. Join this movement that he started back in the 1700s. So I want to leave you with a final quote. This is my all-time favorite quote. It is John Wesley's words. He said, do all that you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That is the father of our denomination. He's a pretty cool guy. Just as Wesley was, we are called to a mission. Will you allow God to use you? Will you? Let's pray. God, I just, I thank you for that sense of warming that you put upon John Wesley those many, many years ago. God, I thank you for the work that you did in his life through the spiritual leaders and mentors that poured into him that ultimately led to the creation of the Wesleyan Church, Lord. I'm, thank you, I'm so thankful that we have this place we can come and publicly declare and proclaim that you are the Messiah. We publicly can come together as a church and, and celebrate your life, study to become more like you, do small groups, do life together, Lord. I thank you for the example of John Wesley and the Wesleyan denomination. I thank you for each and every person seated here this morning and to every friend who is joining us online, Lord, no matter where they be in their spiritual journey. I just pray that they feel encouraged to take whatever that next step is today, Lord. We thank you so much, and I just lift this day up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.